Okay, my friends, uh, this is a sermon that's been a long time in the making. And when I say long time, I'm talking like decades. Uh, but more specifically, last few months, a little bit more intense. I've been doing a lot more reading when I have some spare time, listening to some podcasts, checking into the etymology of some words and some phrases, uh, trying to make sure that I'm getting some sources right um, for this sermon. It's a rather important one. I think, because I think it speaks to a lot of what's going on in our society today, and it's also a rather controversial one. Um, a lot of people's going to automatically put me on the liberal side. They're automatically going to say, well, I don't believe God's Word. They're automatically going to jump to the point to where they think I'm twisting God's Word. And if I am, please point it out to me. Matter of fact, I, that's my first thing that I want to do, is I want to ask for peer review. There's actually some of you out there who's got, you know, D-mans, doctorates of divinity, uh, doctorates of ministry. Some of you have PhDs in theology. Some of you are experts in the biblical languages. And I would ask for your help in this, to do some peer review. If I've done something wrong, if I've misspoke, if I've... Maybe there's something I've not considered. Let me know. Um, also, some of you are very much experts in Old and New Testament theology, especially Pauline theology. We're going to get into some of that today. And uh, let me know what you think there. Now, the subject that I want to tackle, again, is this subject of homosexuality. and What does the Bible actually say about it? Uh, but before I do that, let me tell you a bit of my journey, how I got here, why I'm even considering this. I grew up in southeast Tennessee in the 80s, 70s and 80s. I was born in 1970. Do the math. And um, I was taught, like many people, like probably you, that homosexuality is a sin. I was taught that early on. It was taught in churches. It was taught in schools. It was my community. And the downside for me is I didn't know anybody that was gay. I mean, I'm sure there were people that were gay. It's just it wasn't talked about. People weren't out. I was young. I didn't know anybody, so it was easy for me to fall into this trap and believing that the Bible says homosexuality is a sin, especially when I open the Bible, and there's the word homosexual or homosexuality, and it was hard to not agree with it. I mean, it's there in black and white, and I was just taught that, you know, God's word is clear. Well, let me tell you something. Let's just get rid of that myth right now. In many instances in scripture god's word is not clear all right is he a loving god is he a god of wrath uh there's, there's there's this new testament image of god there's this old testament image of god there's many versions of the bible and translations and interpretations matter of fact in judaism they have this thing called a midrash and that's where they go back and forth and they argue back and forth these rabbis over the generations and centuries have just taken god's word and just went back and forth and back and forth with it why? Because it's not clear. It's something that needs to be wrestled with. Matter of fact, the name Israel means to wrestle with God. And so to be able to be that person that says, okay, I am going to accept the fact that I don't know everything and that what I do know, maybe I don't know. And I'm going to allow myself to question everything. I'm going to allow myself to dig deeper because it is not settled. Okay, it's just like science. Science is not settled. Science should never be settled. Science should always be digging deeper. Same thing with your faith. You should always be digging deeper. So, 
There you go. Grew up in the 80s, taught homosexuality is a sin. Then, late 80s, early 90s, uh, get out to the real world. Some of my friends went to high school with and some other people that I know start coming out. Saying, hey, I'm gay. And they're being more open about it. Well, that's when my mind just took a total twist, right? Because everything I've been taught about homosexuality, about homosexuals, about all these horrible things about them, just slammed right up against the wall because I knew these people. I had grown up with these guys and these women, and I had loved them. And I did love them, and I do love them. My mind's having a hard time reconciling what I've been taught versus what I know. Early 90s. Late 90s come along, someone I know very dear contracts AIDS and dies. I love this guy. I love him to death. I had the pleasure of being able to sit down and talk to him. And the thing that I wrestled with at that time, and mind you, I'm in Bible college. The thing I wrestled with at that time was, you can't tell me God doesn't love him can't tell me he didn't have a heart of God. You can't tell me he didn't have compassion. And he didn't understand grace and mercy. Everything I've been taught about homosexuality is that it's a sin. I'd even been taught to the point that many people were taught that it'll condemn you to hell. And that bothered me. That bothered me. Why would this guy who is so loving, so kind, so passionate, how could God, at the moment of his death, turn his back and condemn him to eternal damnation? Bothered me. Okay. Then, I graduate Bible college. I start in the ministry. I move to the Pacific Northwest. I'm meeting more and more people who are openly gay and lesbian, part of the LGBTQ community. And I love them. They're great friends. I mean, I invite them into my home. They stay with me and my children. They love my children. They're some of the most beautiful, passionate people I ever met. And yet, the Bible is telling me they're an abomination. Ah. But I know some guys, they're saying, yeah, that's what it says. Those abomination. We'll look at that in a second. But, so, I had trouble. Right, I'm having my faith on one hand and then this physical world that I live in on the other and they're coming together and they're not meshing that well. So what do I do? Well, what I always do? I start studying it. I start thinking about it. I start reading about it. Now, here's the thing about Bible study, right? The thing about studying Scripture is the mistake a lot of people make is they just read the Bible. You know? And the problem with that is, is you got the different translations. The problem with that is you've got words whose meanings have changed. The problem with that is you have no context with the history and what was going on. That's why there's so much more material out there. The problem with that is that if you just read it inside your bubble of what you believe to be true, then you have what's called confirmation bias. You just confirm what you already... So my encouragement is when you're studying Scripture, also look at the historic historians of that day look at other writings maybe associated with that time what was going on what were they thinking especially like when it comes to the subject of women in scripture right 
there's a lot of myth out there about what it means to be uh, about women in Scripture. A lot of oppressive myth that's just wrong. It doesn't take into account the culture. It doesn't take into account what was taking place there. Uh, it's there's maybe I need to do a sermon on that, right? All right. So now, as to homosexuality, there's primarily about six, yeah, six key scriptures that are used to talk about homosexuality. We're going to go through them. Now, one of them is found in the creation poem of Genesis. And that's Genesis uh, chapters 18 and 19. Now, what happened is you got Abraham. God had chosen Abraham to be the uh, father of the nation of Israel. And Abraham's camped out in his tent. And these three dudes show up. And Abraham gets up and greets them. And um, The scripture tells it as if it's God and two uh, messengers or angels or you know just two other guys and um, they're talking to Abram that's where he's talking about how he's going to be a blessing that his wife Sarah is going to have a baby that's in chapter 18 and that's a whole another beautiful mess and then chapter 19 they walk out and he kind of looks over the hill and he says you know that that city over there Sodom and then the other one Gomorrah they're um, they're a mess they're a mess I mean they're I've just, it's been outcried unto me, and I'm, I'm just going to have to do, do away with it. And I'm doing a lot of paraphrasing here, but God's basically telling him, I'm going to destroy it. And Abraham begins this negotiation with him, right? So those of you who think you can't argue with God, Abraham is. He starts negotiating with him. And he says, you know, what, what, what if they're, you're going you're to destroy all the righteous just because of the wicked? I mean, what about the righteous people who are there? And so he said, what if there's 50 righteous God's like, well, okay, if there's 50 righteous, I won't destroy it. And Abraham gets thinking, he knows there ain't no 50 righteous in there. He's been to this city, right? And so he finally keeps negotiating, and he gets all the way down to 10. If there's at least just 10 people who are righteous, will you spare the city? Yeah, sure. Sure, I'll do that. So God sends his messengers down, and later that evening, they arrive at the city gates, and there's this guy sitting at the city gate named Lot. So Lot jumps up he knows what kind of town this is and he automatically recognizes who these two guys are or at least that they're of some importance and he wants them to be safe so he says hey come stay at my house i'll feed you i'll give you a place to stay you'll be safe these messengers are like nah dude we're just gonna hang out on the town square we're gonna stay there no 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 so he was very insistent and they come to his house now when they get to his house he feeds them he bakes some unleavened bread they're having a pretty good time but the Bible says there in chapter 19 that the men of the city, both young and old, surround Lot's house. And they start chanting and hollering. And they're wanting Lot to throw these two guys out there. And Lot goes out and says, hey, man, leave them alone. They're like, no, we want you to bring them out so we can have sex with them. Now, this wasn't a consensual thing that they wanted to do. This was a common practice of that day of dominance where they bring two men in and they gang rape them. That's what they were talking about doing gang raping them nothing consensual gang raping them lot knew this i mean the guys even told him that's what we want to do we want to show them who they are put them in their place and gang rape them Lot, no not going to do that and so he offers his two daughters nice guy right no wonder this city's messed up anyways they don't want the two daughters they want to gang rape these guys uh Lot's trying to negotiate with these guys. These guys are trying to get Lot out of the way so they can break into the house. The two guys that are inside, they pull Lot in, shut the door behind them, and then later escape. 
And uh, upon escaping, they get Lot and his two daughters to get out of town, and then they destroy the city, both Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, and then it just and it gets even crazier from there, right? Because just this isn't part of what I'm going to tell you, but I won't finish this story. Lot and his daughters escape, and he's afraid, right? He doesn't want to live in the cities anymore. He's scared. He's living in a cave up in the mountains. The daughters are afraid that their dad's bloodline's going to go, not going to continue. They're not going to have children. So what do they do? They get their dad drunk and both get pregnant. Yep. One has a son, and that lineage becomes the Moabites. Another has a son, and that lineage becomes the Amorites. And there's a whole host of trouble mentioned in the scripture about those. So there you go. There's the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know something I noticed? Nothing about homosexuality. Gang rape is not homosexuality. All right? It's what happens in prisons. It's what happens in uh, communities that are known to do this in the Middle East. It is not consensual same-sex relationships. Matter of fact, if you turn to Ezekiel, right? I think it's Ezekiel 64. Is there an Ezekiel 64? No, it's Ezekiel 16. Let me get over there. I think it's Ezekiel 16, chapter 40, verse 48. Can you tell it's been a long time since I've done this whole sermon thing? Uh, yeah, verse 48. Mm, let me check my notes. Sorry about that. Should have been a little bit more prepared. I got two Bibles here. I got my notebook. I'm trying to do as much of this as I can to make it as interesting as possible. But in Ezekiel 16, verse 49. Now, in chapter 16 of Ezekiel, God has been uh, just ripping Israel a new one, right? Goes as far as to call her a whore. But he says, You're not even a good whore. Right? In chapter 16. A good whore gets paid for what she does. You, you're paying people to do your whoring just horrible and then in verse 49 he starts talking about Sodom and Gomorrah and he starts calling Sodom her sister Israel's sister your sister Sodom and then he goes down here in verse 49 and says now this was the sin of your sister okay pay attention this was the sin of your sister Sodom she and her daughters were arrogant overfed and unconcerned they did not help the poor or the needy. They were haughty and neat. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. Therefore, I did away with them, as you have seen. Didn't say their sin was homosexuality, did it? Nope. So, there we go. Ezekiel doesn't say it. He even says the Lord says their sin's not homosexuality. What they're, everybody points to in Sodom and Gomorrah is gang rape. All right? Nothing about being homosexual. Let's go to the next book. Everybody talks about Leviticus, right? Chapter 18 in Leviticus. Now, before we do that, I want to break some things down about the book of Leviticus for you. Specifically, what's that book about? Well, it's a pretty interesting book. As a matter of fact, uh, Hebrew children began their Hebrew studies with the book of Leviticus. It's true. It's a true story. The book of Leviticus is broken down into different sections. For example, the first seven chapters is about the sacrificial system. Now, 
currently there is no temple and so there's not been a sacrificial system since the destruction of the temple but that breaks down the sacrificial system and talks about what it does and how it works and all the different things there uh then chapters 8 through 10 that's about worship and the priesthood establishing the priesthood through the tribe it's, it's the tribe of levi through the lineage of aaron so you get the arianic priesthood all right uh, then 11 through 16, that's the laws of purity and impurity. That tells you about what you, what's considered pure, what's considered impure, about how you can, what you're supposed to do as far as washing and what they call a, a, a well, you and I know it as baptism, but it's a bath that they can take. Different things that they do to stay pure and clean. Uh, also talks about their diet in there. So if you want to learn a little bit more about what God has to say about being healthy and stuff like that. Oh, that's the passage where you're not supposed to eat shrimp. Yeah. Or shellfish. Not supposed to eat that. It's in there. Not supposed to eat pork. It's in there. That's where it comes from. And then it comes down to the holiness code. Now that's chapter 17 through uh, 26. And this is what sets the children of Israel apart. God's just telling them this is what it means to be holy. Ironically, that is where we find the passage that everybody goes to to say homosexuality is a sin. Ironically, the same people don't say eating shellfish is a sin. They don't. You know why? You point that out to them and they'll say, well, now see, that's the Old Testament. We're, that's law and we're under grace. We're not bound by that anymore. Then why do you keep pointing out Leviticus 18? I don't get it. But to your point about what we're bound by and what we're not bound by, the book of Leviticus starts out with two words called he called. Right, the two words are he called in Hebrew. It is written for the priests, kind of like an instruction manual. Matter of fact, rabbis and sages will tell you that it's actually not intended for anybody else but the people living in the Holy Land and specifically intended for the priests who are setting up the system in which they're going to live. It's their instructions on how to do that. See, Israel was to be set aside as a nation, a city on a hill, a light unto all the world to show how God was and to draw all men unto God. And that's their instruction code. That's what it's there for. So in one sense, as the rabbis would tell you, it's not written specifically for me, but rather for them on how to live and set themselves apart so that I can be, see the glory of God. That's what the book of Leviticus is about. But I do find it funny that you'll point to Leviticus 18 and say that says homosexuality is a sin, but you'll look away from the part about what you can and can't eat, what you can and cannot wear. Interesting, isn't it? Back to Leviticus. So Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, that's the one everybody goes to. All right, what does that say? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Eighteen. So in chapter 18, he's talking a lot about concerning uh, sexual relations. Now, keep in mind, these are priests. Priests and rabbis were expected to marry. All right, so presumably these are straight men. So why is he giving them instructions on sexual relations to straight men who are married in the holiness code? Okay, this has to do with worship at the temple. That's what this is about. 
how they are to set themselves apart from the other nations and the other tribes in the area. That's what it's about. So specifically, it gets down to verse 18. I mean, verse 22. Do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. This is detestable. Other words will use an abomination. Other translations will say, "Do not lie. Mankind should not lie with womankind. Oh, mankind should not lie as they do with womankind together. Other ones will say, a man should lay with a male. It's interesting, I thought, that one, that translation, a man shouldn't lay with a male. There's some, when you dive into the Hebrew, those words that are translated differently, what you'll find out is oftentimes the first use of that word is talking about a fully grown man, what they define as a man. The second use, although it's male, often refers to a young or not quite a man stage. So a boy or a teenager or a young man. Now what was common in Canaan at that time in the worship of, a, of several pagan gods, and it's, they're not the first or only one to do this, was uh, a temple prostitution. They would take young boys, dress them up as women, oftentimes forced into prostitution at the temple. And these guys, in an effort to worship that deity, would go to the temple and have sex with these young boys. Uh, it was often like an agricultural fertility type of God. In this passage, in the Holiness Code, he said, you're not going to do that. That's not who we are. Now, ironically, later on in Israel, I think some of that did take place, and God wasn't too happy about it. That's where you get over into Leviticus 20, where it talks about killing people who are, who are doing this. Uh, I don't know if the death penalty was ever enacted. Um, and if it was enacted, there's several things in Scripture that call for the death penalty, but I, I can't find any place where uh, a Jewish court actually carried it out, um, especially with some of the things that are in there. It's just crazy. Like that passage where it says if your kid's unruly, you can turn them over to the, to the Jewish court and uh, they could stone them to death. There's no, no place in history that's ever taken place matter of fact what some people say that that passage is actually talking about it's not saying hey take your kid and have them killed it's saying hey dad you don't have the right to take that kid's life it's not your right you can't do that if the kid is that bad turn them over the court if they can't figure out something well maybe the state can but you don't have that right this passage leviticus 18 is referring not to consensual sex between two people. It's referring to temple prostitution. And it's not too hard. It doesn't take too much extra research to find evidence of that and that that's what it's referring to. So that's Leviticus. So what about the New Testament? Good question. There's uh, primarily three passages in the New Testament and that talk about it or that mention it or that may mention it. And ironically, it's only Paul that talks about it. I, there's nowhere in Jesus' teachings where he talks about uh, the sin of homosexuality. There's nowhere in the Gospels where it's talked about. It's just not talked about. And, and here's another thing that's not talked about. Early biblical Hebrew didn't even have a word for homosexuality. Now, if this is an abomination, don't you think there would be a word in the early biblical Hebrew? Another thing, let's go back to Leviticus before I jump into the New Testament. Every time the word abomination, well, I'm not going to say every time. 
pretty much every time the word abomination is mentioned in Scripture, it's tied to one thing in particular. And it's always referring to one thing in particular. Idolatry. Idolatry and pagan worship. So when it says there that a man lying with a man is an abomination, it's, it's, it's referring to idolatry and pagan worship. Okay? That's not homosexuality. All right? Big difference. Big difference. Okay, so let's jump in. What are we going to first in the New Testament? Back to the notes here. Let's go to Romans. Paul's letter to the Romans. That's Romans chapter 1. All right, chapter 1, he starts out and it's like, Hey, how you guys doing? I'm a servant of the Lord. I teach the scriptures and the prophets. Ironically, the scriptures and the prophets are what you and I know as the Old Testament, the one that a lot of people say we're not bound by, but that was the same thing that Jesus taught from, the same thing that Paul taught from. I don't know why we're not bound by it. I don't, I don't understand why it doesn't apply to us. All right, so you get here to Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through, what did I say? 32. You can go read the whole thing later, but... I'm going to jump over here to 32. I think it's 32. Let's start at 28. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind. And he's talking about people who don't want anything to do with God, right? They're wanting to go the way of these idolatries and these cults. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil, and they, disobey, and they disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they knew God's righteousness decree, excuse me, although they knew God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these things, but also approve of those who practice them. Oh, you know what I forgot? I forgot to back up. Let's go up here to 26. This is the one where everybody jumps in and says it's talking about homosexuality. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men abandoned natural relations for women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received themselves a due penalty of their perversion. Okay, that's talking about perversion. That's talking about indecent acts. That's talking about, you know, guys who are naturally drawn to women abandoning that. That's talking about what they were doing in regards what was taking place in Rome and Greece at that time. And if you go back and you read what was taking place in Rome and Greece at that time, it was pretty sketchy stuff. Now, that was from the uh, near national version. Let's see what the King James says. A lot of you guys like the King James. Um, so the King James verse 26... Again, for this cause God gave up the vile 
gave up for this cause God gave them up unto the vile affections even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature and I don't know what that's talking about some, some I I don't think that's talking about lesbianism because there's no prohibition in Leviticus there's no prohibition in the Old Testament about that it's things that just aren't natural what are they doing I'm not really sure but it, he describes a very perverse situation okay uh, and likewise also the men leaving the natural use for the woman burned in their lust toward one another men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving themselves that recompense for their error which was lost now this is talking about a situation of depravity not a situation of somebody being in a consensual relationship okay and I know a lot of you people say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm making a stretch here. Well, I'm, I'm just asking a question. If I'm wrong, I told you, do some honest peer review and show me that maybe I'm wrong. Because everything I've studied, everything I'm finding out is that it was taking place in the, in the uh, various cults that were going on there in Rome at the time that Paul was writing this stuff. Let's see. We've done Leviticus, Rome. Another thing that you'll find out is if you're going down through there where it talks about perversion, it talks about those men being with other men. If your Bible has one of those cross-references you know, with the footnotes, they all point back to Leviticus. They all point back to this commerce, to this uh, idolatry in the temple worship, that they're all tying back together. Does Paul do that on accident, or is he purposely saying, look, remember what we were taught in Leviticus? We don't engage in these things. We don't do it. These people are doing it. Stay away from that. We don't do that. All right. The cross reference comes back. Uh, let's see. All right. First Corinthians. Let's look at that one. So that's going to be First Corinthians chapter six. So if you get your Bible, let's turn over to First Corinthians chapter six. I used to put like little things in here so I could turn to it, but it's just not fair to you. I get there faster. I know where I'm going. So if we do it together, we can do it together. Chapter 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor the male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders. Right there is that word. Well, Scott, the Bible says homosexual. Let's do two things. One, that first word there where it's talking about normal prostitutes, that's a Greek word that's getting translated a lot of different ways. I'm going to spell it because I don't speak Greek that well. It's M-A-L-A-K-O-I, so malakoi, if, I, if that's how you say it. I don't know. Put it in Google and find out. That word can be translated as soft, as effeminate, uh, it can be translated, see, I wrote a few other things down here, weak or spineless, you know, somebody who just won't stand up for themselves or anybody else. Um, as a matter of fact, it's used in the book of Luke and in Matthew when it's describing the fine clothing that the rich are wearing. So that word, one of those all-encompassing words that are up there, doesn't mean male prostitute, it just means somebody who's spineless or weak. And as a matter of fact, if it's referring to a guy and you're using this word, it's an insult. Paul's insulting. He's saying, look, these guys are weak, they're worthless. That's the word. 
He had a word for prostitute. But he uses this word malakoi. Now, the word that's translated homosexual, now that's an interesting word. That word that's translated homosexual is actually two words that Paul put together. He made this word up. Uh, we're pretty sure he made this word up because we never find it anywhere prior to the book of Romans, prior to him writing it here. And he also writes it in Timothy, which is that third verse. I'm not going to dig too deep into that because this is getting longer than I wanted. So here Paul dives and he makes up this word and he takes one word, which means man, and another Greek word, which means bed. And uh, those words are A-R-S-E-N-O, okay? A-R-S-E-N-O means man. And then bed is K-O-I-T-A-I. So quitai. Or, uh, uh, there I go, trying to pronounce something I can't pronounce. So he takes these two words and puts them together. Man bed. Now the problem here is Paul doesn't define it. He never says, this is what a man bed means. And we don't really know what it meant. Now you could say, well, it's obviously man and going to bed well what about lint liquor i can make that word up does that mean that someone's actually lint licking lint or does it mean something else what about the word understand does it mean that i'm actually standing under something or that i've got knowledge and that i've comprehended it? and you know there's a lot of double words that when you put them together don't mean what they mean on their own so we don't know what Paul meant by this. Now, we can get a little bit of an idea when you go into some Greek writings after Paul when they use it. Now, the words that they used and how they use it, let me get over here, is interesting. Because when you look like in the Acts of John, which is one of the books of the Apocrypha, it was written after this, they use it, and it's oftentimes used in reference to something like economic exploitation, an abuse of power. It's used as an economic uh, exploitation and violence in the sex business, you know, like pimping or uh, forced into prostitution, human trafficking. That's where that word is used outside of the Testament. So if Paul is actually saying homosexual here, which is how it's being translated, which, by the way, did you know the word homosexual doesn't hit the English Bible until 1954? It's true. So what was this word translated as before that? Well, you can go through history and find different translations, but some of the more interesting ones was bugger. That's a bugger. That's what it was translated as. Another one was masturbator. Uh, another, like if you go like in the King James, I think it says abusers of mankind, which is probably more along the line of uh, what we find in the Greek there, in the Greek writings after Paul, where it's talking about people who do the... Uh, what do you call it, economic exploitation or sexual exploitation, uh, human trafficking type of thing. It's not talking about homosexuality. Now, there was a common practice back in the day, just as it was, well, I've already said this, you know, the whole temple prostitution. But Paul is saying that these are the people who are horrible and people who engage in this, as did some of you, interestingly enough, he states, as did some of you. They're unrighteous. It's not the way of God. It's not who we're to be. So what about Timothy? Well, let's see what the book of 1 Timothy says. And it's interesting, Paul puts all of these in the very first, uh, at his letters. 
Uh, let's see, First Timothy, uh, verse ten, the same word, man bed, man bedders or whatever it is, is translated in this case as perverts. Okay, for adulterers and perverts, for slave traders and liars, for perjurers and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine. He's speaking against, interesting, pay attention. Remember what I said about commerce? Remember what I said about economic exploitation, especially in the sex industry? Look at this. He's talking about slave traders, human traffickers. And just before that, he puts perverts or man-betters, whatever that meant. We don't know. Now, uh... This is where I'm going to ask some of my Greek scholars to verify this for me. You know, get in touch with me. You know how to do that. Am I right? Do we really know what this means? Uh, let me know. So, before I go, let me get one more sip here. Before I go, there is something that I want to ask you. I'm not saying I am correct, but what if I am? What if what we've been teaching this whole time about homosexuality is wrong? I've actually got another one coming up on this. We're going to talk about it, but um, but what if it's wrong? Would you for a moment just sit down and consider what if it's wrong? What if I'm right that Sodom and Gomorrah wasn't about homosexuality, but about gang rape? What if I'm right that Leviticus isn't about same-sex relationships? It's about 